Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. What do you think of when you think of angels? Do you imagine a choir singing in the background as a figure in flowing robes, golden hair, and white wings descends delicately from the sky to deliver you some celestial message? Or do you imagine a baby, a chubby little cherub with rosy cheeks and curly hair glowing from the light of heaven? I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but literary descriptions of angels don't exactly match that description as much as we all might want them to. On the other hand, there are some angelic beings who have been described as having six wings, tentacles, eyes covering every inch of their bodies, and even horns like that of a ram. On paper, angels seem pretty damn scary. They're intimidating creatures that can come down and smite people in the name of God. You're probably asking yourself, but Isabel, I thought we were talking about demons. What's with the angel talk? Well, my perceptive little goblins, I'll tell you what angels have to do with demons. There are some angels that, for reasons unknown to us mere mortals, do bad things. Whether they do these things because God told them to, like doing something bad for the greater good, or because they straight up just want to do them, we'll really never know. But it makes one think. Are angels always figures of benevolence, or can some have more malevolent agendas? One such angel that fits this bill is Samael, more commonly known as the Poison of God. Samael is one of the most evil figures in Judaism. Etymologists have translated his name from the original Hebrew to mean venom or poison of God, but he has been called many things. Prince of Demons, the Accuser, the Destroyer, the Abuser, and the Severity of God. His stance as a good guy is tentative, if that. In various stories throughout Judaism, Samael straddles the line between good and evil. There are certain stories that feature him punishing mortals for the sins that they have committed in the name of God. There are other stories that see him banished from the graces of heaven for his constant meddling in the affairs of man. In these stories, he is an angel turned demon due to his incessant plots to corrupt humanity. This is also why he is reportedly in a never-ending battle with the Archangel Michael. This constant shint in narrative is what gets us to thinking. Is he an angel? A demon? or both. Samael is mentioned throughout Judaic texts, which include the Book of Enoch, the Greek Apocalypse of Baruch, and the Ascension of Isaiah, and several other pieces of Talmudic Midrashic literature. Each of these stories tell a different tale as to who Samael was and the scope of the damage that he caused. For instance, his first appearance can be traced to the Book of Enoch, a series of apocalyptic religious texts that were attributed to Enoch, the man who's known as Noah's great-grandfather. These were written sometime during the Second Temple period, and in Enoch 1, Samael appears as one of the Watchers, a specific classification of angel that went down to earth for the sole purpose of mating with human women. 
While he isn't the leader of these watchers, he is one of the ranking members. Jewish mythology states that Samael and his cohorts married and mated with human women, which was against God's wishes. This act angered God in such a way that he banished these angels from heaven altogether, condemning Samael to a life as a creature of the underworld. So we're not off to an awful good start here, but at least in this story, he didn't kill anyone. Now let's switch over to the Greek Apocalypse of Baruch, a pseudepigraphic text. That's a 10 point word, isn't it? Pseudepigraphic means that it's falsely attributed to someone. So in this context, the work is attributed to Baruch, but it probably wasn't written by him. Anyway, in this work of literature, Samael was one of God's favorite angels, but Samael was holding on to a very serious grudge. He did not like the fact that God had created Adam and Eve. He saw them as imperfect creatures, beings that did nothing but take and take and contributed very little. It is said that Samael hated Adam and Eve so much that he himself planted the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden in the hopes that it would tempt them into eating from the forbidden fruit. If they were to do this, Samael could go to God and be like, Hey, look, your pets did the one thing that they were told not to do. Smite them or something. Get them out of here. However, the angel's plan backfired before it ever fully began. God was so enraged with Samael for creating such a tree that he banished him and subsequently cursed him by turning him into a demon. Samael, enraged and heartbroken that his father would choose the mortal Adam and Eve over him, took revenge by transforming himself into a serpent and whispering into the ears of the pair in the hopes of tempting them into eating from the forbidden fruit. Much to Samael's delight, they did just that, and soon Adam and Eve were banished from the good graces of God, just like he had been. Now, this story greatly resembles that of the Midrash Perk de Rabbi Eliezer. In this text, Samael likewise intensely opposed the creation of Adam and Eve. Samael's mentality was that angels were already perfect beings, capable of doing good and being good forever. The creation of Adam and Eve was baffling to him. Why waste your time creating creatures that were imperfect? and had the potential to be gluttonous, violent, and destructive. Why would someone do that? Personally, I would like to answer that by saying, take it easy. <laughs> we didn't ask to be created, okay? Take that up with your sky dad. We did nothing to you. Well, Samael was so pissed with Adam and Eve that he descended from heaven riding a serpent and convinced Eve to eat from the forbidden fruit. She, in turn, quote, tempted Adam to do the same. And I say, quote, tempted because in Eve's defense, Adam was a big boy. He could have said no. But, you know, I digress. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and banished from the safety of God's paradise, doomed to roam the open and savage world. This text also states that Samael and Eve had an affair, 
resulting in the birth of Cain. And we all know what a piece of work that guy was. So that's what? Two checks in the evil box? Maybe three if you include him fathering Cain? According to the Midrash Perk de Rabbi Elizer, Samael also holds the title of Satan. Although, not the same Satan that you all might be thinking of. The title of Satan refers to the chief of fallen angels, or demons, who is depicted as a terrifying 12-ringed seraph. Satan and Lucifer are not the same thing in these texts, although Samael does closely resemble the Satan that is depicted in Christianity. Both are fallen angels, both resent the creation of mortals, and both make temptation and sin their whole shtick. While these comparisons tempt us into believing that these two characters are the same being, and we will go further in depth about the similarities between these two troublemakers, they are not the same person. On the contrary, some historians believe that Samael has more in common with the Islamic figure Iblis, the leader of devils who was thrown out of heaven for refusing to prostrate himself in front of Adam. Samael continues to be referred to as Satan throughout the 5th and 6th centuries, where he becomes one of the most prominent demonic figures in lore. In Talmudic Midrashic literature, specifically in the Exodus Rabbah, Samael is the tempter of sin. He's the guy who goes around tempting people to do naughty things that he and they know they shouldn't be doing. Why? Because he wants to push humanity out of God's good graces? Because it makes him giggle? Honestly, who knows? I think that not knowing his motivation for doing these things makes him scarier in a way. Because of his identification as Satan, he is also seen as the leader of Satans, the head of all Satans, the chief of Satans, and in the book of Matt, he is referred to as the prince of devils. Satans are members of the heavenly host with grim and destructive tendencies. They remain God's servants while simultaneously condoning the sins of man. This is the dichotomy that I was talking about in the beginning of this journey, because Samael is still widely regarded as an angel. One of his many titles is that of Great Prince in the Heavens, who rules over other angels in heaven. He's also the ruler of fallen angels and is responsible for smiting people that God deems fit for smiting. He is commonly known as the Angel of Death being the one person responsible for taking Moses' soul upon the hour of his death. He also closely resembles the angel of death in Jewish mythology, who purportedly slays men with a drop of poison. But not just any man, no. Just the ones that God has chosen for Samael specifically to slay. Now let's talk about the ascension of Isaiah. In this Judeo-Christian text, Samael frequently appears as the embodiment of evil. According to the ascension of Isaiah, he takes control of King Manasseh, the 14th king of the kingdom of Judah, in order to accuse Isaiah of treason. Isaiah is then arrested, thrown inside of a sack, and placed within a hollow tree trunk, 
which is then sawed in half. The whole thing is violent and horrible and definitely one of Samael's crowning moments of evil. But the plan is ultimately backfires on him because Isaiah is seen as a martyr after his death. The ascension of Isaiah also loosely refers to Samael as Belial and Satan. But once again, I want to remind you all, it's not the same Satan as the Christian Satan. We'll get to that, I promise. Do you remember our last episode when we learned about Lilith, the infamous first wife of Adam? Well, if you do, you'll remember learning that when Lilith left Adam for being kind of a controlling meathead, she coupled up with Samael for some time. According to Kabbalah, a branch of Judaism that focuses on mysticism and the relationship between the eternal God and the mortal universe, Samael and Lilith didn't appear together as a couple until around the second half of the 13th century. You see, in the Kabbalistic work The Treatise on the Left Emanation by the rabbi Isaac HaKohen, Samael is part of the Quifoth, which are the representation of evil or impure forces in the world and are in direct contrast to the Holy Sephiroth. In this Quifoth, Samael is the prince of all demons and Lilith rules by his side. She and Samael are responsible for creating a host of demon children which go out and cause mayhem and pandemonium wherever they roam. One of these children includes a son, who in very darling fashion is referred to as the Sword of Samael. It's cute! It's a cute name to give to your kid. I mean, my parents just call me Chaparra, or like Velita, or whatever, but Sword of Samael is cute too, I guess. Don't really want to anger anybody, it's cute. Lilith and Samael are meant to be viewed as the parallel to Adam and Eve. Think of them as their evil counterparts from opposite world. The Zohar, a fundamental work in the study of Kabbalah, also features tales of Samael, and not just as an evil entity, but also one of God's busiest bees. Samael is the leader of divine forces dedicated to destruction. Read that back. Divine forces dedicated to destruction. Not something you hear every day, huh? These divine forces, along with Samael himself, ride in on serpents when performing their divine yet dastardly deeds. He also mates with the angels, a sheth, Zenunim, Naama, and Agrat Bat Malat, who are angels of sacred sex. The practice of sacred sex is that where sexual acts are performed in the context of religious worship. These acts are performed by temple workers who are paid for their religious services. For Samael to perform these acts with these specific angels was considered an immense honor for both parties. Now, after all of these stories of Samael and who he was, you guys are probably asking yourself, what does someone like him look like? I mean, someone with a reputation like his probably doesn't fit the bill of the stereotypical hallmark angel. I mentioned before that he was described as a 12-winged being, but there is more to him than just that stunning visual. According to the apocryphal work, the Gedulat Mosh, also known as the Apocalypse of Moses, 
Samael's description is given where he appears in the seventh level of heaven. To quote the Apocalypse of Moses, In the last heaven, Moses saw two angels, each 500 parasangs in heat, forged out of chains of black fire and red fire. The angels, Af, anger, and Hema, wrath, whom God created at the beginning of the world to execute his will. There was another angel in the seventh heaven, different in appearance from all the other, and of frightful mien. His height was so great it would have taken 500 years to cover a distance equal to it, and from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet he was studded with glaring eyes. This one, said Metatron, addressing Moses, is Samael, who takes the soul away from man. Whither goes he now? asked Moses, and Metatron replied, to fetch the soul of Job the pious. Thereupon Moses prayed to God in these words, O, oh, may it be thy will, my God, and the God of my fathers, not to let me fall into the hands of this angel. So for reference, Samael is so tall it would take 500 years to see all of him, has 12 wings, and is covered in glaring eyeballs from head to toe. Yeah, try to put that on a candle. Sounds really uplifting. So, let's talk about the Christian Satan and how he resembles Samael. For starters, both of these bad boys are commonly identified with the figure of a snake or a serpent. In Christianity, it's widely believed that Satan was the one who disguised himself as the snake to tempt Adam and Eve into committing the ultimate sin of eating from the tree of knowledge. It's never said that it was Satan or Lucifer or whatever you want to call him, but it's highly implied. Samael is believed to be the deity in Judaism that planted the tree and did just about the same thing. Both of these figures are associated with the desires of the flesh, with Samael going out of his way to couple with human women and having sacred sex, and Satan in Christianity whispering in the ears of mankind to have sex out of wedlock. And let's not forget that both Samael and the Christian Satan have a penchant for condoning the sins of man, egging them on to commit evil deeds, and overall being the poster boys for evil incarnate. It's no wonder that these two gentlemen are constantly being compared, but instead of looking at them like long-lost twins, think of them as if they were weirdly similar cousins who are constantly trying to one-up each other. But I feel it is my duty to say that Samael was here first. The story you're about to hear is that of an angel who was confused by his father's new creation. It's the story of an angel who decided to rebel against his almighty father and paid the price for his rebellion. Hey all, it's Isabel here, and if you know anything about me, you'll know that I absolutely love spooky and witchy gifts, both giving and receiving them. So I was totally amazed when I found The Rose Gold Boudoir on Etsy. The Rose Gold Boudoir sells everything from custom resin Ouija boards, planchette earrings, 
blessed candles for luck, cleansings, and more, as well as mild spell jars and crystals like rose quartz and amethyst. The Rose Gold Boudoir also sells custom paddles for your more romantic nights, resin galaxy and gold fleck coasters and trays to make your home more eclectic, and goddess body sculptures in all sizes to get some goddess vibes going on in your home. Check out The Rose Gold Boudoir on Etsy and you can get free shipping on all orders over $35. That's The Rose Gold Boudoir for all your spooky and witchy needs. See ya! Samael looked down at his father from up high with confusion and annoyance. He did not dare openly question God, but his fascination with the hairless apes that he had created was baffling. He and his siblings were beautiful, impressive beings. They exuded power and majesty. What more could God want? These beings were naked, fleshy bags of organs, juices, and bones. Samael could come down from the heavens and obliterate them into nothingness with a flick of his wrist. They were garbage. They were garbage beneath his feet. And yet God had decided that these beings were the ones destined to roam the world and take dominion over it. These things were to lord over the lands and the oceans and the beasts. How ridiculous. Samael had watched his father create the man Adam and the woman Lilith, and immediately upon his father's departure, watched Adam display what Samael could only characterize as a ridiculous show of imaginary power. The man had tried to lord over the woman and had even crowned himself her superior. Superior? That small naked man had no idea what superiority or power looked like. Who did he think he was? Did he think he was God? What made him think that he could have control over a being that was exactly like himself? The entire display was ludicrous. Samael was of a mind to tell God what his little pet had done. But then the woman did something surprising. She yelled and stood her ground and abandoned the man, leaving him reeling and sobbing. What an embarrassment, Samael thought, while making a mental note to keep track of Lilith. After this perverse display of ego, Samael was sure that his almighty father would abandon his efforts with the humans and return to his senses. The first chance that Adam had gotten, he had abused the imaginary power he thought he had over his wife. What would he do to his children? God forbid they multiply and create more humans. He would construct himself as a god among men. It was a disaster waiting to happen. No, the only logical thing to do was for his father to smite them and scorch the garden in which he placed them. The ground needed to be cleansed of their presence. But to Samael's horror, God did the exact opposite. Instead of annihilating Adam, he removed a piece of Adam's rib and constructed him a new woman. This one, Eve, was to be more docile and more compassionate to Adam's growing ego. 
Samael retreated from his post and pondered to himself why God would do something so ludicrous. Samael had an issue with his fellow members of the heavenly host. While they were all devoted to God, some of them were a tad dim-witted for his taste. To do everything that you were told, to never ask why or dare to dig deeper into the meaning of things, was something that Samael couldn't understand. In his mind, understanding and intelligence was what separated them from the beast down below. They were creatures of God, followers of an almighty benevolent being. They were meant to strive for more. He should have known that when he went around asking the other angels' opinions on God's preoccupation with Adam and Eve, that they would parrot back the exact same thing that God had said. The whole go forth and multiply speech was one that Samael had heard before. He should have known that not one of them was capable of constructing a thought that was in any way original or complex. In Samael's own opinion, it was what separated him from his fellow angels. With no one on his side, Samael was left to watch as Adam and Eve gallivanted around the Garden of Eden, consuming more than they gave back. Eve was oblivious to Adam's many faults, fussing about him as if he was God incarnate. Adam, for his part, strutted around the garden like a mediocre peacock, preening his inferior visage. He heard their conversations and surmised pretty quickly that they had nothing of intellectual value to contribute. Physically, they were nothing to look at, and it didn't seem like they had any plans to leave the earth in a better condition than they were introduced to it. All in all, they were useless. Samael did his best to banish the humans from his mind, but try as he might, he couldn't. Every moment was consumed with thoughts of the creatures that had taken up so much of his father's love. It was all God could talk about. Adam and Eve were to inherit the earth, and once they multiplied, their children and their children's children would live within the Garden of Eden. What was the use of them? Why did the world need to have more of them? They contributed nothing. Samael had personally witnessed Adam's complete lack of skill or intellect. So what was this all for? Why did God create them? Was he, Samael, not good enough anymore? Was God unsatisfied with him and his fellow angels? These were the questions that tormented him. He was perfect. Adam and Eve were unnecessary. God had to know that. And if he didn't, Samael would have to be the one to tell him. An audience with God was hard to come by. Samael knew of angels who had never met their creator, had only heard stories or whispers. It added to the mystery and the power, he supposed, but Samael was different. He was special. He knew that his father would make time to see him. When that moment finally arrived, Samael felt confident that his father would hear him out and see things his way. He would see that the humans were a waste of particles and atoms. Unfortunately, that was not what happened. Adam and Eve are the future, the haunting voice of God proclaimed. The future of what? Samael asked. 
the future of the earth, he replied. They will have dominion over the planet. They will plant and reap the sweet benefits of the land that I have created for them. They will evolve and build and change the face of the planet to new unimaginable heights. The earth is theirs. Samael blinked his many eyes. And us? He asked. It will be your job and the job of every other angel in the heavens to watch over them and their children. He was dumbfounded. He was an angel, a divine creature of immense power. It was he who was created in God's image, not Adam and Eve. It was he who had the power of God coursing through his veins, not them. He wasn't some overqualified sheep herder. He was a creature of God. Father, how could you ask this of me? Adam and Eve are to rule, but how? Samael interrupted him. How could you give them such immense purpose? Have you watched them? Father, I have spent many a day watching these pets of yours, and they are fleas on the surface of the earth. They do nothing, add nothing. But they will. Their future is great, and their future is nothing, he interrupted again. They are capable of nothing. I know that you see potential in them, but I see them for what they truly are. Nothing. I will hear no more of this, God boomed. Samael, you have forgotten your place. You are a creature of my doing, just as they are, and you will do what is commanded of you. Adam and Eve are to inherit the earth, and you are to be their protector. You are up to observe and assist them in any way that they ask of you. So you expect me to be at their beck and call like some sort of subservient animal? Is that what you wish for me, father? Samael asked through gritted teeth. Adam and Eve are the future of the earth. You and yours are not. I will hear no more of this, and you shall speak no more of this either. I have spoken. And with that, God left. Samael spread his twelve powerful wings and hovered over the Garden of Eden. He watched as Adam and Eve basked in the hot rays of the sun. He watched Eve feed her husband grapes as he disgustingly spat seeds around him, trailing spit down his chin. Impossible. It was impossible for his father to ask this of him. He was never one to disobey God, but this was different. This was insanity. Lunacy. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He needed to find a way to show God that this one time, he was wrong. But Adam and Eve had a hold of his father that he had never seen before. It was as if he were bewitched by the beasts. It hurt him to say, but he knew, deep down, he knew that God loved Adam and Eve more than he loved him and all the other angels in heaven. He needed to come up with a plan and fast. 
As Samael watched Eve gather fruit from the surrounding trees, it hit him. He knew what to do. Swiftly, he flew down from heaven and made himself invisible to their eyes. In a secluded area of the garden, Samael touched down and sunk his claws into the most soil. His many eyes began to glow with the light of heaven and a surge of power trailed down his arm, through the tips of his fingers and into the earth. Samael felt the power of heaven reach down deep until roots began to form. From the roots sprouted a tall and mighty tree. The air around it buzzed with power and smelled of honey. The tree of knowledge. One bite from its fruit and a person would be bestowed with all the knowledge of heaven and earth. Samael knew that such a thing was forbidden to exist. He knew that creating it would mean unimaginable consequences for him. But he figured that sometimes lines had to be crossed. Wrongs needed to be committed in order to restore balance to the world. The pair would gluttonously eat from the fruit. They would flaunt their wisdom and renounce God. And in retaliation, God would smite them. Samael would be hailed a hero for exposing the truth of the humans, and the fact that he created the tree wouldn't matter in the long run. But how could he get them to eat from the tree? He couldn't exactly fly down to earth and tell them to do it. The very sight of him would make them die of fright, a fact that didn't sound too bad for Samael, but would backfire on him in the long run. He needed to find a way for them to trust him. A smile spread across his terrible face. It was time to play his favorite game. With a quick shake, Samael shrunk down and transformed himself into a long and heavy snake. It was a shape he often took as a form of entertainment. He would become a snake and scare the animals down on earth for a quick laugh. Perhaps this shape could come in candy now. Eve was picking flowers in a field of honeysuckle when Samael found her. He slithered up to her through the grass and raised himself up so that she could look into his eyes. What an interesting creature, she said in amazement. Enthusiastically, she reached her hand out to touch the top of his serpentine head. The thought of her fleshy fingers touching him no matter what form he was in, was revolting. But he didn't want to lose her trust so quickly, so he braced himself for her touch. It took everything in him not to bite her hand off. And when she was done, he said in his slickest voice, Thank you so much for your kindness. Many of the animals on this earth find me frightening. They run and hide from me. But you are different. You have shown me what a kind touch feels like. To show my thanks, I have something for you. What is it? Eve asked eagerly. The sweetest fruit that you could ever taste. The very scent of it will send your mouth to water. I promise you, you will never eat anything more delicious in your life. Samael could see in her smiling face that he had her on the ropes. He chuckled internally at her naivete, 
but then remembered that she had never been exposed to anything in her life that would give her reason to mistrust. Of course she was going to believe him. Would you like that? He asked slyly. Oh, yes, she said, and together they threaded their way through the grass towards the tree of knowledge. When they arrived, the tree had completed its growth, sprouting 15 feet high with a thick and sturdy trunk. Brilliant green leaves grew out of its strong branches, and dangling from one branch was a solitary red fruit, plump and delicious, just ready for the taking. Eve stepped forward and smelled the air. The sweet scent of the fruit wafted over and surrounded her like a living thing. Here is your reward for your kindness, Samael said, slithering up the tree branch and knocking the fruit off into Eve's outstretched hand. He waited in anticipation of that very first bite, but before she bit, she looked more closely at the fruit. This doesn't look like any fruit that grows here in the garden, she mused to herself. It is new. Samael said innocently. It smells, she said. It smells wonderful, Samael interjected. Yes, Eve agreed, but there's something else, something sharper hidden underneath. It makes my heart uneasy. Samael was becoming impatient, and yet he was amused. Maybe this Eve wasn't as dim as he had assumed. She was definitely brighter than Adam, that was for sure. She was able to pick up the energy that he had weaved into the molecular structure of the fruit, which was intriguing and worrying. If she could do it, then that meant that if she and the other one ever had children, one of them might be able to as well. And as they continued to multiply more and more of them would be able to pick up energies from the other world. Just as he was getting lost in his musings, Adam approached from behind Eve and looked into Samael's snake eyes. What is that? He asked Eve. It is a friend I made in the garden, she said brightly. He has brought me to this tree with the most unusual fruit sprouting as a gift for my kindness towards him. Although... I am worried. There seems to be something wrong with it. What could possibly be wrong with something that smells so delicious? Adam replied hungrily. Samael could see the look of lust in his eyes. The fruit was intended as a gift to Eve, Samael hissed. But perhaps if she is generous enough, she could offer you some after she has taken the first bite. Adam turned to the snake with narrowed eyes. Why does she get to be first? He asked, offended. Because she is my first friend, Samael replied innocently. But as I have said, she can always share with you. Adam turned to Eve expectantly. I don't know, Eve said. I am very grateful for this gift, but there is something about it that I don't trust. Something about it that does not feel right. Frustrated, Samael decided to go a different route. There is something about this tree that I have not told you about, Samael said, dropping his voice to a mere whisper. 
The fruit that grows from it has special qualities. One bite will give you infinite wisdom. You will know all, see all. The world beyond your garden will no longer be a mystery to you. Eve's brow furrowed with worry, while Adam's eyes blazed with excitement and curiosity. Let me have it, Adam said, reaching to take the fruit from Eve. Samael lunged forward and hissed at Adam, who fell to the ground in fear. No, he said sternly. It is Eve's. She will have the first bite, and she will decide whether or not to share with you. Adam narrowed his eyes at Samael. He was clearly a man who disliked being denied anything, and he definitely didn't enjoy being made second to Eve. So take a bite so I might have some, Adam demanded of Eve. Take a bite so that I might have some, Adam repeatedly made more certain. Eve looked to the snake and then back at Adam. She was clearly torn. Samael decided to play them against one another. It is not necessary for you to eat, Samael said kindly, wrapping himself around Eve's shoulders. My gift to you is just that, a gift. If you do not eat, I won't be offended. Of course, if you don't eat, then neither can Adam. I did not give it to him. Adam looked at Eve with hurt in his eyes, although Samael could see that it was false. He was trying to guilt her. Would you deny me this opportunity? He asked her. After everything that I have done for you, were you not made from my rib? Was it not I that gave you life? Samael seethed. It was not Adam who had given Eve life. It was God. And just as Samael had predicted, the naked little man saw himself as similar to God. He decided that even if Eve didn't bite from the fruit, he would kill Adam anyway. But before Samael got the chance, Adam pushed the fruit towards Eve where she took a hesitant bite. She hadn't even finished chewing before Adam snatched it from her hands and almost ate half. Samael slithered away from their sight, not even bothering to look back and say goodbye. When he made it back to his home in the sky, Samael found his father looking down on earth with worried eyes. Father, he asked, what is troubling you? He already knew what God was looking at. He knew what was troubling him. Adam had become drunk with knowledge and power the moment he swallowed the fruit. Eve, having only taken a small bite, did not have the same reaction. On the other hand, she had insisted they leave the half-eaten fruit in the grass and not take another bite. Adam is behaving strangely, God replied. Something is not right. Something did happen, Samael said, daring to inch closer. Then speak, God insisted. For so long I have been telling you about your pets, father, warning you that the creature Adam was hungry for power and that he would take any opportunity he could to take it from you. He sees himself as your likeness. 
He dares to believe that he can be, no, that he is as powerful as you. I heard him say as much myself, and the woman Eve is not strong enough to stand up to him. She will allow herself to be broken down by him because she does not know otherwise. What have you done, Samael? God questioned threateningly. I did what had to be done to show you the truth about them. I planted a tree, a tree that would provide everlasting knowledge. If your pets were as innocent as you insisted that they were, they would have left the tree alone. They would have been content with what they had and would not have been tempted into acquiring the type of knowledge that only you have. But they weren't. Adam all but pushed the fruit into Eve's mouth and then he ripped into it like a wild beast. I did what had to be done to open your eyes to what they really are. Samael dropped to his knees and prostrated himself before God. I did it for you. Can't you see that? For a long time, God said nothing. He watched Samael, one of his favorite sons, one of his most powerful seraphim, and got lost in his thoughts. Father? Samael asked, but when he lifted his head, God was gone. The angel searched and searched and finally found God down on earth. Adam and Eve were indeed punished, cast out from the safety of the Garden of Eden and made to wander the savage earth alone. They would have to fend for themselves. If infinite knowledge was what they wanted, then they could use it to create a life of their own without God's help. Samael had hoped for their destruction, but he knew they wouldn't last long out in the wild, so he was content with their fate. It was a shame about Eve, though. He hadn't grown to like the woman, but he could at least acknowledge that she was the least problematic of the pair. With his plan complete and the outcome in his favor, Samael felt good. His father had abandoned the humans and all would be right with the order of the world again. He would never have to bend the knee to those insignificant specks and he could go back to leading his compatriots. But when God returned to heaven, something was wrong. Samael could feel it. The air held an electrical charge that made him feel fear for the very first time in his life. Samael, God's voice boomed from on high. The angel looked around but couldn't find his father anywhere. He couldn't find any of the other members of the heavenly host either. He was alone in heaven, surrounded by the thunderous voice of God. Samael, you have betrayed me. God said, his voice tinged with sadness and anger. You have allowed your ego to cloud your mind. It is not your place to make decisions on the matters of earth. Your place is by my side, as my soldier. You have proven to me that you have more arrogance in your heart than the mortals I have created ever could. They are not without fault, and therefore I have banished them. Just as I banish you now. Samael looked around for any sign of help. This had to be a mistake, a test, a gauntlet being thrown down at him by God as a way to frighten him after what he had done. Father, I admit my arrogance. I was wrong. I never should have doubted you. Yes, you shouldn't have. But this is not enough. You will pay for your disobedience. My disobedience to who? 
Samael shouted. To those things out there? How could you ever expect me to serve them? They are nothing. They are weak. I and Samael, the destroyer, the poison of God, I will not be told what to do by those bottom feeders. I will not fall to my knees, he shouted. You will, God replied resolutely, and with one swift motion, banished Samael from heaven. Like a fiery ball of fury, Samael fell from heaven. He plunged down from the skies, through the infinite waters that coated the world's surface, through the earth's thick crust, and down into its core. He felt heat singe his wings, felt it blister his many eyes, and coat his body in black soot until it became ingrained into him like new skin. He fell deep, deep into the underworld, until finally he landed in a crumpled heap on the dirty floor. Samael weakly tried to fly out. He bounced off the walls of the infernal cavern he found himself in, bloodying his body as he ricocheted off the walls. But try as he might, he couldn't get out. Finally, he came to the realization that this was it. This was his home now. He had been cast out. And for what? For seeing what others could not see? For doing what others were too afraid to do? Was he being punished for not being a coward? Was this not what God had wanted? A warrior, a soldier, a being of immense power who was not afraid to ask questions. He was all of those things and more. He was Samael. He was powerful. He was righteous. He brought fear into those around him. How could God want him to be anything less than that? Unless God did not know what was best. That's when Samael had a thought. What if God was not as powerful as he thought he was? What if God had become weak? Samael knew his power, and he was not willing to follow someone who could not recognize that. Let him be cast out. He would rule in the underworld, rule the other fallen ones that had dared question a fallible idol. And since Adam and Eve had been allowed to survive, he would ensure that they and their offspring received the comeuppance that they deserved. They would live, but it would be hell. Samael lifted himself up on his feet and stretched his singed black wings. A noise drew his attention to a shadowy corner beside him, and he watched as a figure emerged. A woman with blonde hair down to her ankles, talons for hands, and feet like those of a harpy stalked towards him. She was nude, but her body was covered in soot and her eyes blazed. Following a few steps behind her were a host of underworld creatures. They stopped when she stopped, but made sure to stay a few feet behind her. 
What are you doing here, Seraphim? She asked. Samael looked deeply into her eyes. She seemed familiar, as if he had seen her before. Lilith, he said, as realization hit him. Don't think I'm impressed because you know who I am, she asked. I ask again, what are you doing here? I was banished, Samael replied, for refusing to serve the human Adam and his wife Eve, for not being a brainless creature that followed innate orders. Lilith cocked an eyebrow. I know of Adam, and I did the same. As for the new one, Eve, all I can say is that I pity her. You and your kind are meant to follow orders. That is why you were created. I'm surprised you of all beings are down here. I thought your type of seraphim were the most devoted of followers. Not anymore. I couldn't. I have turned my back on God as he has turned his on me. Lilith rolled her bloodshot eyes, unconvinced. You and I can work together, Samael suggested. We have a common enemy and a common goal. Lilith began to walk away and Samael followed behind her. Tell me what you have in mind, Lilith said. My name is Samael, he began. I don't care, she said as he dove in to their newfound union. Samael and the Christian Satan have a lot in common, but the case can be made for Samael that he did what he did in the name of God. Samael looked at the creation of Adam and Eve and wondered why something so small and vulnerable and insignificant in the grand scheme of the cosmos could take precedence on earth. Why should we as humans be given dominion on earth when he was Samael, the poison of God? What are we compared to him? I mean, think about it. Would you be jazzed to let ants take over the planet when we exist? Because that's what we were to him. Ants. Tiny, minuscule things that didn't bring any visible good to the world. I mean, are we those things? No. And yes, but isn't that the point? We do good and we do bad and we do nothing and we do everything. But to Samael... Compared to Samael, of anything, we're nothing. It doesn't really matter what version of Samael you put more stock into, the overarching story remains the same. Samael saw us as things that should not have been, and he did what he did in the name of God, supposedly. Remove us from this earth so that God could keep his world pure. But maybe God didn't want purity. Maybe he wanted complexity, and Samael just couldn't understand that. So he did evil things. He thought he was doing good things, but he did evil things. So think of Samael and ask yourself, angel or demon, good or evil, or maybe both. Were his actions justified in his own eyes, or is it just flat out cuckoo bananas 
did he deserve to be cast out? Or do you think God still has him in his pocket and sends him out to do the morally gray things that have to get done every now and then? Is he still being used? Is he doing good and then bad because God says that both have to get done? It's all very confusing and it adds to the question of angel or demon. Or, like I said, is he both? Either way you answer those questions, I know one thing. If Samael is an angel and he supposedly does good, he's still not one that I ever want to get visited by. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today and for your patience as I navigate this fractured foot life of mine. This is part three in my series on demons from across the world. Part four is coming in hot and follows Iblis, the leader of devils in Islam. If you want to hear more from the series and more myths, legends, and scary stories, make sure that you rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor for more episodes. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Scary Stories for the Soul Pod. Until next time.